Well, friends, if you have uh, your Bibles with you, <coughs> please turn with me to Paul's letter to the Philippians and to chapter 3. We're going to read uh, from verse 10 uh, down to the end of verse uh, 16. And as you're looking that up, can I bring you the warm greetings again uh, from the slightly less frozen north of Scotland? Uh, the uh, winter uh, storms have just about abated, for which we're very grateful. We've managed to keep the church roof on, which is always good. Uh, and uh, it's been good uh, to move into uh, our new uh, home as a church. I think I was telling you about the last time I was here. Uh, we did finally move in. We had our opening service. Uh, and uh, amazingly, as of last week, uh, the, the loan that we took out with the Baptist Union to clear off, we had to clear off to pay for the purchase of the building. We've, we've done that as of last, uh, fact, last Thursday, in fact, last week. Uh, so we have uh, now come to a place where we are, we are debt-free, which is great. We're rejoicing in that in God's goodness. Uh, and we look forward to what God has uh, for us. And just to let you know that uh, the church in, back in Thursday are praying for you uh, as a fellowship and, and as we worship God uh, together. You might want to spare a thought from my poor, long-suffering church treasurer. Uh, this is the first time he's preaching in public, but it was on the strict condition that the pastor was not there to hear him. Uh, so I've honoured that. Uh, but uh, we'll doubtless hear of that later on. Uh, but let's read and be blessed now uh, by God's living word. I want to know Christ, yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death and somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. Not that I have already attained all this or have already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining to what is ahead, I press on toward the goal, to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. All of us then who are mature should take such a view of things, and if on some point you think differently, that too God will make clear to you. Only let us live up to what we have already attained. And we thank God for his word, and we know he will add his blessing uh, to it. We're going to stand again, we'll go up. If I was then to ask the next question, how many of you have kept them? I suspect a lot of hands at that point would go down, perhaps maybe even all of them. But I'm not going to, as I say, do that this morning. We're not talking uh, about, uh, as the uh, perhaps picture there suggests, turning over a new leaf or trying to do better. We're going to talk this morning about something that is much more radical, much more life-transforming, and frankly, much more uh, exciting uh, and at times challenging and difficult as well. And that is, what does it mean to make a fresh start with God? Maybe perhaps some of us have to do that this morning. Make a fresh start with God for the first time as you invite Him into your life as Savior and Lord. And what better place to do that than as we gather later around the Lord's table. Maybe for other of us this morning, you have been walking with God, as we say, at a distance. Or to use that old-fashioned word we don't hear much now, maybe you are backslidden. Maybe you're not walking with God as you once used to. And the flame of faith and the love that you had in your heart for God is burning at a low ebb and needs to be fanned again into flame. It is time, as the Lord challenges one of the churches in Revelation, that you return to your first love. It is time, perhaps, to make a fresh start with God. 
Maybe you've had life-changing circumstances, and from what Jason's been indicating, some perhaps have had that. It's time to go through a period of readjustment, of realignment, reassessment of your life, its direction of travel, your priorities, and all of these kind of things. And it's time to make that fresh start with God. Well, that's what Paul really uh, is doing as we meet him in uh, the third chapter of Philippians. He's very much in reflective mood. Paul has walked with the Lord a long time. He has served the Lord a long time, and he's had a very colorful life and ministry, as we all know, since his Damascus Road experience. And here is Paul just reflecting, really, on uh, the journey of life with God that he has traveled thus far, where he's been, what he's been doing, but where he's going in the future, which he begins to reflect on and think about. And basically, Paul takes us through seven stages I want just to reflect on uh, in our uh, time around God's Word this morning. Uh, as he thinks about what it means for him and for us to make a fresh start with God. So how does Paul begin? Well, he starts off in verse 12. He assesses his progress. He says, not that I have already been made perfect or have attained, he says, all of this. And Paul's looking back, not in a morbid, maudlin, introspective kind of way. He's looking back and openly and honestly examining himself. What have I been doing, teaching? Where have I been going? What has my life been like? He gives us an excellent example of what some of the uh, earlier Christian writers refer to as uh, self-examination. Not in an inward, depressing way, but rather openly coming before God and allowing God to inspect every area and crevice and part of his life, his heart, his conduct, all the things uh, that he uh, was doing. And as he does this, he begins to realize, as we all do, that there is a need for improvement. So how does Paul assess his progress? Well, he does this in two ways. First of all, he makes Christ the object of his comparison. And we read that in verses 10 and 11. He says he wants to become more like Christ. And then he comes to verse 12 and he says, Not that I have already attained all this. Paul could have measured himself by his own standards which were pretty high, let's be honest, and he would have fared very well. He could have compared himself with other believers, and he would have also compared very well. But Paul doesn't do that. Paul gets it clear. The only person that I'm meant to be comparing myself to and with is Jesus Christ himself. Paul knew, as we need to as perhaps remember and remind ourselves, God is not interested. In fact, God doesn't care how you measure up to other Christians. He's not interested. The only thing God's bothered about is how do you compare to Christ? Are you measuring up? Am I measuring up? Are we measuring up to the image of Christ our Savior? That's the only valid comparison that you should make. So don't go comparing yourself against other believers because that's not very helpful and it's not what God wants us to do. How do I compare with Jesus? That was Paul's watchword and motto. How do I compare with the Lord? So he makes the Lord the object of his comparison. There is the Lord, the perfect, the holy one. How do I measure up? How, how, do, I, how do I stand before him? Apostle Paul, though I may be, in the light of Jesus and his perfection. So make the Lord, friend, and the Lord only, the object of your comparison. But with that, Paul comes to his conclusion, secondly, in verse 12, and his conclusion is this, not yet been made perfect. 
could do better. He is not yet there. He has not arrived. Paul, as we say, could have sat back on his laurels and said, well, I founded many churches. I've been falsely accused. I've been whipped. I've been beaten. I've been shipwrecked twice. I've been slandered. Uh, I've had people trying to kill me. I've had to escape from a city, being let down through a hole in the wall, uh, in the basket. I've had all kinds of things happen to me. Look at all the good things that I've done for the Lord and all the wonderful churches that I've founded. And I've written a fair bit of the New Testament as well. And Paul could have uh, patted himself on the back and thought, yes, I've, I've pretty much sorted myself out. I have arrived. But he doesn't do that. He doesn't allow any room in his heart for arrogance and complacency. His conclusion, as he looks at the Lord, despite the things God has enabled him to do, he says, I am not yet perfect. I don't reach the standard. I don't measure up. And so Paul's conclusion is simply this. I need to know more of the transforming power of the Holy Spirit in my life, in my character, in my ministry. And I guess if you like me, you probably, if you're being honest with yourself, say, yeah, that sounds about right. God still has to be at work within me. I need to change. I need you to transform me. And all of us need to be changed and transformed by God as well. And that really is what Paul is saying. I'm on that journey to becoming more like Jesus, and that's wonderful, but I've not arrived. Neither have you, neither have I, neither have any of us, and Paul is quite obviously reflecting on that, and he's very honest about it. I've come a long way, but there's more of the journey. Paul has that spiritual pilgrim spirit within his heart. I wonder if you have the same. Or as someone once said to me, speaking of his church, he says, you know, they're, they're, they're saved, they're stuck, and they're satisfied. And I thought, I don't want to become part of a church or be a pastor who is saved, stuck, unsatisfied. God's blessings in the past are great, wonderful, and let's celebrate them. But there's the all-important now and the even more important future. You see, friends, if you stand still, you actually begin to slip back. You've all heard the expression, the rolling stone doesn't ever gather moss. And that's true. We need to keep on keeping on. Keep moving on in that pilgrim spirit. Keep giving ourselves, offering ourselves to the Lord in service. I remember hearing a very moving story many years ago now at one of the previous Keswick conventions I went to. Uh, and it was, it was the, the missionary night when, when they have an appeal uh, for folks to go into full-time Christian work. And the, the man that was speaking was a retired missionary himself. And he saw one of his even older retired colleagues than him walking down to the front to respond to full-time missionary service. And he thinks, what's this man doing? This man's retired. He's in his 80s. He's, he's done his bit for the Lord. Surely this isn't right. And uh, he went down to the front and, and he stood at his friend's side to, to pray with him. And he said, brother, what, why are you why are you giving yourself to full-time work? You're 83 years of age, you know, what's, all, what's happening? And he said, oh, he says, I will tell you. He says, the Lord has called me to give up my home and to go into an old people's home, a sheltered home. I'm, I'm, not old, I'm too old now to, to live on my own. And I'm being called to go into my, my local old folks' home. He says, that's my new mission field now. 
And the Lord is calling me, and he's, he's commissioning me to take out that role. And I thought, wow. At the end of life, he still had the servant heart. He still had the passion. He still had that sense of, I need to go on with God. There's always something to do, friends, in the kingdom of God. Age is never a barrier. He yielded himself afresh to God. He was still on the journey. You're always on the journey with God, friends, until one day he calls you home to glory. That's when the journey ends, but not until. And Paul, I think, understood that. He assessed his progress. I've come a long way, but there's more to go uh, in the things of God. But the second thing he does is he decides what he's going to do. He determines his course of action. Same verse 12. I press on. Paul knows if you, if you begin to stand, you begin to slip back. And he got that. Perhaps you're thinking, well, I'm too old to change now. I'm too set in my ways. Or I've made too many mistakes in my life. God possibly could not uh, use me. Or that's just too difficult. It's too demanding. What I'm being asked to do is, is, is something I can't, I can't deal with. Well, that wasn't Paul's way, and that wasn't Paul's response. He knows he's not perfect, but he knows that God has yet more for him uh, to do. And Paul's attitude is this. I'm a sinner. I'm not perfect. But the good news is God has redeemed me. And if you're a believer this morning, you're the same. I can't stand up here and tell you that I'm perfect. And my congregation, I assure you, will tell you that is not the case. But I can tell you this. Perfect I am not, but pardoned I most certainly am. And if you're a believer this morning, you're not perfect. And if you're married, your husband or wife will doubtless tell you that as well. But you are pardoned, you are redeemed, as we're going to remember, as we gather around the Lord's table. So Paul says, I'm not perfect, but I'm pardoned. And God is working in me. And as he says elsewhere, God demonstrates his power and his glory through my weaknesses. So weak and frail and sinful though I am, and I mess up and I make mistakes, nevertheless, my heart is after God. And I'm going to pursue God, and I'm going to go after God and serve God with all the passion and vigor and energy that I have. I'm going to give God my all. Is that how you feel as you sit in church this morning? Are you giving God the perhaps last exhausted 10 minutes at the end of the day before your head hits the pillow after another long, busy day? Or are you squeezing God in, in between the other various things that you have to do? Are you giving God half-hearted commitment, but it's not really full-on, it's not really fully committed? Well, that wasn't Paul. He gives all that he has, all that he is, all that he ever will be, and he lays it down before the Lord. As the old hymn writer once put it, for we never can prove the delights of his love until all on the altar we lay. Paul is not going to settle for second best. He's not going to ease off the pedal and take his rest. He is going to pursue God with that pilgrim heart. He's going to give God all that is within him to serve and love his Lord. And so he determines his course of action. He knows where he's going. He knows whom he is going to meet. And he knows the one that he is traveling with in the rest of his journey of life. So I want to ask you this morning, as you go into a new week and as a new month is nearly again upon us? Are you going to go into this new week giving it, giving it your all for the Lord? Or are you going to be half-hearted 
holding back, not giving God his all, not giving God everything that you know that he should be receiving. Well, that wasn't Paul. He gave him all his mind, all his heart, all his spirit, all his energy, all the gifts that he had. He laid it all in love before the one who had changed him and redeemed him. I'm going to press on. I'm not satisfied. I want more of God in my life. I want to see God do more in his world. I want to see God even be pleased to use me. Imperfect though I am for the advancement of his work, his cause, and his kingdom. He determines his course of action. Friend, if you don't determine your course of action, you will not go anywhere. We're going to have a meeting next Sunday morning, actually. And we're going to map out as a church our vision strategy for the next six months to a year, where we sense God is leading us and God has taken us. We've got a wonderful new building, great. But it's not just there so we can sit and be comfortable and keep ourselves warm from the, the uh, Keith Ness winter. It's so that it can be used for a kingdom purpose and for God's glory. Determine your course of action. Set your agenda. Where are we going? Where's God taking us? What is his vision and plan for the future? That's what Paul does. He determines his course of action. I am going to keep on going and moving forward in the things of God. But the third thing that Paul does is this, and this is important, verse 12. He reaffirms that Christ is the basis of his assurance. Paul says, he takes hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. And what Paul really is talking about here in shorthand version, is his conversion experience back in the Damascus Road all those years ago. And Paul is saying, despite all the changes that I have been through, despite the things that God's doing in my life and the things that I hope he does in my life and in my future ministry, despite all the change that has yet to take place, one thing is a constant. One thing remains, his knowledge of Christ as Savior and the security of the knowledge of his salvation. That was his, his anchor. That was the thing that kept Paul grounded in the midst of all the things that he went through. His beatings, his shipwrecks, and all the other things that we know were part and parcel of Paul's life and ministry experience. The unchanging love, the unchanging reality of his Savior and the salvation that he has been given that is unshakable. Change, friends, very often can be unsettling. We know that. It can be unsettling personally. It can be unsettling perhaps at work. It can be unsettling in church as well. And Paul, I think, instinctively, as the good pastor he was, he understood that. And so he, he grounds himself in the reality of Christ, his unchanging love, and his unshakable salvation. That was what enabled Paul to transition through the phases of his life and ministry to the next thing that God had for him, the Apostle Paul. So here's the challenging question for us all this morning. On what, or perhaps on whom, are you basing your security? As you go into a new week, as you perhaps move into and transition into a new phase of life for you, either individually, maybe who knows, perhaps as a congregation here in Airdrie as well. Is it based on the world and human things and things that we can grasp and are tangible and, and things that perhaps give us comfort at that level? Or are we basing our security, are we grounding ourselves on uh, the unshakable salvation and love that is in Jesus Christ? There was a very famous uh, theologian, he's long dead now, a man called Paul Tielich, and he came up with a very interesting phrase I've always gone back to over the years. He talked about the ground of being, the ground of being. 
What is it that gives you, friend, this morning the ground of being? What gives that, that, that frame, that structure, that rigidity perhaps to your life that keeps you going when life perhaps gets difficult, when life changes, perhaps even when things begin to fall apart and life is not as comfortable as it was? Paul knew the one to whom he was going to run, the one that he was going to look to, the one that under whose refuge he would run for shelter, the Lord Jesus Christ. That's the one, he says, who took hold of me. And the word that Paul uses here, it means to sort of grab onto. Paul was taken almost by the scruff of the neck, really, by the Lord, and brought into the kingdom of God. Paul had a dramatic and powerful conversion experience, as we all know. And he knows if God called him to himself in that powerful and dramatic way, God will keep him close as well. See, friends, one of the things that we all discover, hopefully, as we go along in our Christian life, is God calls you by his grace. But that's just a start, because the good news is this. God doesn't just call you by His grace. God keeps you by His grace as well. It's a wonderful thing. We've all proved it, hopefully, this morning. And that grace is a grace, ultimately, that will lead you home. John Newton puts that in his famous hymn, Amazing Grace. You're called by grace. You're kept by grace this morning. And the grace of God will lead you home, ultimately, when the traveling days of the journey are done. And Paul grounds himself. This is what gives me my assurance. When things are difficult, when life changes, when I am called to change, when I move on in the service of God, I ground myself in that assurance that the Lord is my Lord. He is my Savior and my security is in Him. And then fourthly, he begins to get practical. He sets his agenda. Verses 13 and 14. Forgetting what is behind and straining towards what is ahead, I press on to win the goal to reach the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. This is how, says Paul, I'm going to serve God and serve his name. And he directs our attention to things that will enable him and help him to do this. And he says, first of all, he will forget. Now, what's Paul talking about? Forgetting what is behind. Well, he's talking about forgetting those things that have been negative, those things that have been destructive. He's not thinking about forgetting the times when God's blessed him or spoken to him or encouraged him or comforted him or used him uh, to see uh, individuals and, and their lives change. No. Paul's talking about those times, rather, when he was criticized, when he was falsely accused, when he was slandered uh, by his uh, fellow Jews, even by fellow believers, the times when he was shipwrecked, the times when he was beaten and put in prison and put in the stocks and whipped and all kinds of other unpleasant things that have happened to him. And Paul says, I've made a decision. I am going to forget these things that are behind me. And what's interesting in the way that Paul uh, phrases this in the Greek, he writes it in the continuous tense. It's an ongoing process. It's not, I'll forget, and that's it. It's a decision to be ongoing forgetting. He's going to continue to keep on forgetting. He is going to be active, shall I put it this way, in his forgetfulness. I've noticed, and perhaps some of you will have noticed as well, that when you get to a certain stage of life, you tend to forget things with greater ease than you used to. Uh, and uh, we all, I think, do that. But I would suggest quite strongly that it's probably very different when it comes to things that maybe have been said to us or about us, or done to us. 
These are the things that rankle in the heart. These are the things that remain the thorn in the mind and in the consciousness, very often for years and for decades. I've lost count, friends, of the number of people that I've met over the years in church life. And they have never forgotten. Something said to them, as a throwaway remark, maybe decades ago, the person has said it, hasn't even remembered, maybe they've even gone home to be with the Lord, but that person remembers that. And they bring it up. They don't forgive. They don't forget. They nurse it, and they keep it warm and its memory alive and all too well within their heart. And it sours the spirit, and in some extreme cases, it begins to affect them physically as well because they have not let go. They hang on to it for grim death, and they refuse to let it go. They refuse to forget. Well, that wasn't Paul's way. He said, I'm going to be active in my forgetting. Maybe you have to ask God, friends, to help you forget perhaps some of the things that have been said and done to you over your life. Maybe when you were young and growing up, maybe as you were older, maybe who knows, I don't know, in church life as well. And we ask God to forget, to help us to forget, to heal those wounds. I am going to be active, says Paul, in my forgetting. Because, you see, Paul had grasped something that I think we need to grasp ourselves, and that's simply this. If the past is allowed to, it can dominate the present, it can impact the future, and it can, it can impact the present, and it can rob us of the future that God would have for all of us. Paul understood that. And so he says, I'm not going to allow the past to dominate the present, and I'm not going to allow it to impact the future. I'm going to forget it. I am going to lay it down. And what better place this morning could we do that as we come to the Lord's table? Bring your burden, bring whatever it is that you have wrestled with for all your life, whatever the wound there is that's within your heart, bring it and lay it down beneath the cross of the Lord as we come to the Lord's table this morning. Receive cleansing, receive forgiveness, receive the fresh start, lay down the burden and leave here free. Leave here as one who has been forgiven, perhaps one who has forgiven. Mend it. Put it right. Do whatever it is with God and with other people, if need be, that you need to deal with. I am going to forget the past. I am going, says Paul, to lay it down because I want to go forward into the future. What's more important, friend, this morning? The future God has for you or the slights and the offenses of the past that are indeed now in the past. That's very often, friends, sadly the reason why many Christians and sometimes Christian communities never really go forward, never really grow, never really develop in the things of God that the Lord longs that they would move into because they have never come to that place where they decided to let go and deal with the past and put it in the past, leave it under the cleansing blood of Christ, the forgiveness of His love, to start fresh, to move into the future that God had for them. Perhaps for some of us this morning, that's a word of challenge that the Lord is calling us to think about and to make decisions with regard to that. That We leave go, we let go, forgetting what is behind, dealing with it. If you forget something, it doesn't mean that you don't take it seriously. You do. But you let it go. And you release its power and its hold that it has over you as well. And you go forward into the present and then you prepare for the future. That's what Paul does. So he forgets the past, but then he says he's going to pursue the future. Secondly, verse 14, I press on. And the picture that Paul has here is of the athlete 
straining towards the finishing line, using every ounce of energy and sinew of, of strength and muscle and tissue that's within their body, running hard, running full tilt, as we say, towards the finishing line to complete the race of faith that has been set before them. That, says Paul, is how I'm going to do and live in my Christian life. It's about wholehearted commitment. It's about giving God your all, pressing on, making incredible effort, physical effort, straining uh, to do it. That really is what Paul is saying. He's saying here that living for the Lord and running the Christian race of faith, it's not easy. It's a, it's a marathon. It's not a sprint, it's a marathon, and it requires at times grit and sheer spiritual determination to keep on going. Because we've all been in those places, haven't we, where you think, well, last year was a hard year, or I've been through a really busy period in life or church life, I think I'm going to just put my feet up and take my rest and have a little time out. And the temptation to do that is almost overwhelming. Maybe you're feeling that this morning. Maybe you're being tempted to give into it. But Paul knew that it's in those moments that we are at our most vulnerable and in our greatest time of spiritual danger. And so Paul says, no, I'm going to keep on pressing forward with the Lord's help. Don't make that fatal mistake. I will sit back and take my ease and let things be a little bit easier now than they have been in the past. Use this Sunday morning as you go into a new week, this resurrection Sunday morning, because that's what Sunday mornings are, to say, Lord, I need to know again your resurrection power by your Holy Spirit pouring into my life afresh. I need you to put your love afresh into my heart. I need to know again and receive your grace. I need to know you again coming and cleansing me from those persistent sins that I never seem to fully shake off. I'm coming to consecrate myself a fresh Lord to you. I don't want to settle for second best. I want to aim for excellence in Christ. I don't want to be mediocre. I want to be all out for the kingdom of God. So that's what Paul does. He sets his agenda. This is where I'm going, and this is how I'm going to get there. And then he moves on again, fifthly. He looks toward the award he will receive. Verse 14, I press on towards the goal to win the prize. Again, Paul is in the athletics arena uh, of the competing athlete. He's thinking of the prize that uh, the athletes would have competed for. It was traditionally a crown made of laurel leaves, and it was known as the victor's crown. And it was presented either by the emperor, if you were in Rome, or the leading citizen or governor, uh, if you were in a large city uh, in the Roman Empire. And Paul is saying, that's what stimulates me. That's what, as we say, gets me out of bed in the morning. That's what motivates me and keeps me going. The vision before me, constant, bright, and clear. I'm looking forward to the day when I complete the race of faith. And I will receive not the victor's crown. We get something far better. We're told about it in Revelation at the end of the Bible. We will receive the crown of life. What does the Lord say to his church at the beginning of Revelation? Be faithful to death, and I will give you a crown of life. And it will be presented to you personally by the Lord Jesus Christ himself. He will come, and he will place that crown of life on your head with the nail-pierced hands as he does so. And you will hear those wonderful words of blessing and of benediction. Well done, good 
unfaithful servant. Enter into the joy of your Lord. Paul always keeps the prize in view front and center. Don't be distracted by the things of the world. Don't be distracted by the things that Satan will no doubt throw against you. Remember the, remember the goal. Remember the prize. Keep your eyes focused upon that as you seek to be faithfully following the Lord. But as we look at that, Paul also sets, he goes on to verse 15. There's a standard, he says, that we have to uh, reach and he announces that. All of us, he says, who are mature should take such a view of things. God is looking for, Paul is telling us, mature Christians. It was good to hear from Jason that you've been doing Discipleship Explored, and that's a great thing uh, to think about and, uh, and to do, and we're thinking about doing the same uh, ourselves. God, friends, is not looking for converts. He's not looking for bottoms on seats and pew fillers. That's not what God's looking for. And we're not told to make converts either in the Great Commission. We're told to make disciples. God's looking for disciples. What is a disciple? Somebody who is seriously following in the footsteps of Jesus. In part of our midweek Bible studies at the moment, we are looking at the cost of discipleship, what that looks like, what that feels like. The lifestyle changes that we have to make. We've seen over the last three weeks uh, two folks come to faith quite suddenly in the church, and it's been great. And they're now wrestling with what that looks like. Decisions, lifestyle changes, relationship changes, and all the other things that are part and parcel of that. As they begin to take their first frightened, painful, exhilarating, and challenging steps into mature Christian discipleship. And that's what Paul is talking about here. Growing up going forward as mature believers in Christ, not just those who believe, not just converts, but those who grow up and reach uh, that full maturity uh, in Christ. In the home that I grew up in, uh, there was one uh, door frame, maybe you did this, I don't know, there was one door frame in our house that was never painted, ever, and it was the door into the kitchen. And the reason for that was that that was the door frame that my brother and I used to uh, compete. I mean, it was a bit daft to compete because you couldn't really control it. But anyway, we competed to see who was growing the fastest and who was going to be taller. Uh, and the, the person to beat was obviously Dad. Uh, he was the tallest in the house at that point. Uh, but my dad wasn't very tall. Uh, so the day came when I actually exceeded his height and I was well pleased. I can uh, assure you of that. Uh, and he had his, his uh, height marked up with the, the red felt tip pen. Uh, I think I was black and my brother was blue. I think that's the way we did it, if I remember rightly. Uh, and we all had our different stages on the, on, on the door frame. And eventually, uh, I got to my father's, height, my father's height, and my mother said to me, she says, there you last year, she said, you've reached the height of your father. And I had, certainly, in terms of height. The good news was, I got an inch or two bigger than him later on. And then my brother came up. And I don't know how it happened, but he's over six feet. I never quite got to that. So my wee brother's bigger than me, but that's just life. And that's what happens. But we measured ourselves up. Who's going to get to the standard of being the height of dad? That's what Paul's talking about. You measure yourself, friends, against the standard of the Lord. Have you grown up? Have you matured? Are you going on in mature Christian discipleship? Or have you not quite got there yet? There are a lot, friends, believe me, of immature baby Christians. And they should have grown up many, many years ago. But sadly, they haven't. 
because they have not taken seriously the challenge and the call to maturity in Christ and to ongoing mature Christian discipleship. And Paul says that's not to be the attitude and heart of a believer, even for an apostle such as himself. I want to grow up. I want to reach that fullness of maturity in the Lord. That was Paul's commitment. That was his passion. That was what made him do the things we've been looking at already this morning. Is that what's in your heart this morning? I hope and pray and trust that it is. I want to grow up. I want to reach the standard of the fullness of the measure of Jesus as I seek to live and serve for him. And then finally, verse 16, he appeals for faithfulness. Living in a very faithless world, friends, faithfulness does not have the value attached to it that once it did and that it should. But Paul is calling us to be faithful. Why? Faithful, he says, in the light of God's goodness. Only, he says, let us live up to what we have already attained. And what Paul is thinking about here is what God has done in his life already, what God has shown him, what God has revealed in his word and in the gospel that he has been preaching. And Paul really is simply saying this, don't let anything be spoiled in your life that God has done for you. Don't let anything spoil what God has done in your life. Don't let Satan disturb your joy and rob you of your future. Keep on pressing on with Jesus. Keep on being faithful and obedient to all that He has shown you. Because if you are and if you do that, then the Lord will show you even more. Someone once come to me and said to me, Pastor, God's not speaking to me. And I said, well, have you been praying? Yes. Have you been reading your, your Bible? Yes. And I knew he was coming to church because he was there every Sunday. I said, well, how long has this been going on for? Oh, he said, about six months. I'm getting fed up with it. I keep asking God to speak and he's saying nothing. And I, th- and I sat down and I thought to myself, I said, well, tell me, what have you done with the last thing that God told you to do? And I could see a little light bulb going on and he said, about, ah. I haven't quite done that yet. I said, well, there's your answer. God will not show you any more and tell you any more until you do that which he has already shown you and that which he has already commanded you and asked you to do. Maybe you're a bit stuck this morning in your journey of faith with the Lord. Think about that. Think about the last thing that God clearly told you to do. Did you do it or did you not do it? And maybe that will help you as you move forward in the things of God. And I think Paul understood that. Be faithful and obedient to all that Christ has shown you. Because when you are and if you are, then you will be able to move into the future that God has planned and prepared for you and that he will unfold to you in all its beauty and perfection. And so, friends, as we think about what it means individually and perhaps as a gathered community, what it means to make a fresh start with God. Fresh start with God maybe from today onwards, tomorrow, into a new week, whatever. Take Paul's motto uh, that he gives us really in verse 14 to heart, that you're going to determine from this Sunday morning onwards and seal it as you come and receive bread and wine together, that from this Sunday morning onwards, you are going to determine to make a fresh start with God's help, to forget what is behind and press on towards the goal and the prize to which God has called you heavenward in Christ Jesus. 
Maybe for some this morning that means that you have to come and take Christ as Savior and Lord. Maybe there's an issue in your life you have to talk, with, talk through with God. Maybe uh, leadership here and, and, and ask them to help you to deal with that. Maybe you have to come back to uh, your first love. Whatever it is, whatever it means, as we gather, friends, uh, now in a moment or two around the Lord's table, use these precious moments, these God-given moments, these moments that are full of eternal significance, perhaps. Take and use these moments that God has given you, that you would be transformed forever by him, if need be, and that you enter into that new life, that new experience of growing up and maturing in discipleship to which God is calling you. Now is the time. Now is the moment of opportunity. Don't let it slip by or slip through your fingers. Forget the past. Deal with the past if you need to. Claim the future and determine that from the present you will go forward into the things that God in his love and grace has prepared for you. By his grace he has called you, by his grace he keeps you, and by his grace he will lead you home. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you for your outrageous grace to us. Lord, we don't deserve anything that we have or anything that you have done for us in the Lord. But yet, Lord, we confess before you that, Lord, although we have not pursued you, you have pursued us with mercy, grace, and love, and an amazing forgiveness and cleansing in Jesus. We ask, O oh Lord, help us now to make that fresh start, Lord, with you, whatever that means for us, whatever that looks like for us, to leave this place, Lord, different from the way that we were when we came in. Because we have resolved, Lord, this morning, in dependence upon your Spirit, to forget what is past and to press on into the future that's good and you prepared for us to reach the goal, to win the prize that you have called us heavenwards in Christ Jesus till the day of traveling is done and we receive, Lord, the crown of life. And may we hear, well done, good, faithful servant, that we may enter into the joy of our Lord. Amen.